you know what we're going to do is we're going to get into a few more concepts. There's just three categories we're going to talk about. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay out three categories we're going to talk about. These are often misunderstood in the Bible. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. I'm going to get Bob in here because he has a really good take on this subject. And then what we're going to do is start some bantering about some other logic. Okay, it'll be kind of more freewheeling. But let me address this. There's three categories And this is kind of an added bonus here to keep straight when you're looking at the scriptures. And the reason why I'm mentioning these three categories, again, is because we're living in a day and age where the predominant worldview is becoming postmodern. And the postmoderns love to say that there are contradictions in the scriptures. And what's happening is often they're confusing categories. Okay, And the categories that they're confusing are contradiction, mystery, and paradox. Okay? Now, I'm going to give you R.C. Sproul's definition. I'm indebted to him on these definitions, and I like it. But Bob has got an interesting twist on this, and I'm going to have him jump in here. But let me give you the first definition, and I'm going to explain why we should keep these straight. First of all, a contradiction is an irreconcilable proposition that is an absurdity and can be ruled out a priori. Why? Because it violates the law of non-contradiction, right? So through deduction, we can say, ah, can't go there. That's an absurdity. It's like saying that you have a round square. All right. By definition, if, if something's round, it's not a square. Okay. So you can just—it's an absurdity. Now, again, I will assert that there are no such things as contradictions in the Bible. Okay. Now, here's where the rub comes in. Paradoxes. Now, this is R.C. Sproul's definition. He says this: and a paradox is an apparent contradiction, which, upon closer examination, is actually no contradiction at all. Okay. So, in other words, this would be like the Matthew. Uh, 10 verse that we looked at where there are two different types of life being contrasted one temporal and one eternal well the emergent would say aha we have ourselves a contradiction but really upon closer examination there's really no contradiction there at all is there it's really what would be called a paradox it's an apparent contradiction but it's not a real one okay does that make sense and then the final category to keep track of or keep straight i guess is mystery Something that cannot be known because of lacking data or revelation. This is not a contradiction. So again, the postmoderns and the emergents love the idea of mystery. Everything's a mystery. Now let's talk about that real quickly. In the New Testament, we see the concept of mysterion uh, or mystery. And typically, the way Paul and the other New Testament writers use that term isn't something that we can't know. But rather, it's something that was formerly concealed in the Old Testament and is now revealed. Okay? Something that was formerly concealed and is now revealed. Okay? So the, the few times that a complete mystery is seen in the scriptures is simply, like for instance, people will ask, what were the angels doing three days before creation? It's a mystery. We don't have data on that. What was God doing before he created everything? It's a mystery. We don't have revelation on that. You see? But that isn't a contradiction. Why? Because we don't have even any data or revelation to look at, determine, if, to examine, to see whether it was a contradiction. Okay? So let's keep these three things straight. No contradiction in the Bible. We do have paradoxes and we do have mysteries, but I hope that helps. Okay. Now, Bob, you have an interesting take on paradox, and you did some work on that. Well, yeah. And by the way, we're hoping to have my new book published yeah. within a few, couple months anyhow. And all of this stuff that we're talking about comes into this. And in the book, I argue for the validity of logic, in fact, the necessity of logic to live as humans. 
and the emergent is trying to just throw the whole thing out, yeah. throw things into the category either of the mystery or the oh the mystery or in the category of paradox. They love paradox. In fact, there's one essay in Emergent Manifesto of Hope called Orthoparadoxy mm. rather than orthodoxy. Mm. And uh, <laughs> I found that the reason for that is their idea of this, they're trying to get rid of the law of non-contradiction by saying you have thesis and synthesis oh. and synthesis. synthesis okay. So you have these two opposites that can't be reconciled. Yeah. But they're going to, in the process of time, synthesize into some new, better alternative. Oh, wow. So the whole, my whole book is predicated on that's what makes the thing tick. And all of these kind of terms that we're learning here will show up in the book. Sure. So that should not sell too many books, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll give up on that. Yeah. Now, I wanna, you want me to talk about paradox? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Talk about that. Now, let's talk about... A paradox, the way I understand it, is something that is apparently contradictory, but we still, it may be purposely so. Okay, okay. let's talk about a literary paradox. The one that, that you showed in Matthew is a literary paradox. Right. In other words, an author purposely creates a paradox to make you think, and the resolution of it reveals something to you. So in other words, he the gains his life, shall lose it, is purposely stated in a paradoxical term, not to state a contradiction, but to make you think. Okay, There's right. more to this than what I thought, and the resolution is always found in the authorial intent of the person who created it. So literary right. paradox is purposely created, always has a resolution. So in other words, it's designed to make us discover the two different categories of life. We have temporal yeah. and we have eternal. It forces you to do that. Right. That's okay, good. so that's a literary paradox. Now, in science or in other areas of life, you may run into a paradox, and it, it may mean simply we don't have enough data yet to resolve this. Right. But if you have a paradox that after continual in, uh, intensive study and, and searching, cannot possibly be resolved, then you have to call it a contradiction. Sure. All right? Then it, then it really is a contradiction. Okay. Or a mystery. Sure. Yeah. It's either a contradiction or a mystery, but it doesn't stay a paradox if it's ultimately totally irresolvable. Right, right. Okay. One other thing. You needed to correct something you were seeing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, tell them what I did wrong. Now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Eric stated his syllogism Wrongly, and so he made a logical error. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that great? Yeah. <laughs> it makes you feel good if yeah, you yeah. it wrong. I had my biology wrong. Uh, by the way, mammals no. don't have hair either, I don't think. I think they do. Oh. <laughs> well, we couldn't. Some do, some don't. Okay. Okay, well then. Well, then... <laughs> but see, that doesn't matter for looking for validity. Right, right. Okay. That's exactly right. Okay, right, so right. it still could be a, val <laughs> it's a valid, valid argument. Right. It may be not based on a truth, but it could be valid in a statement. And that was, was my whole point. So that was the point. So, <laughs> so all mammals have hair. That may or may not be true, but we're just looking for the validity right. of, the, of the deduction. Yeah. Well, the way Eric stated it, and I don't think he meant to do this, right. but he said, Muffy has hair, therefore Muffy's a mammal. That should be the other way false. around. 
It should be Muffy's a mammal. Yeah. Therefore, Muffy has hair. Yeah. The way That's it was right. stated yeah. was not a valid syllogism. Very good. I was, all, I was testing you all. Thanks <laughs> <laughs> for the two. Yeah, yeah. That's right. All right. Um, yeah. Questions? Any questions? Is compatibilism and paradox the same thing? Mm. Okay, compatibilism, we were talking about in the last class, last fall. Sovereignty of God. Yeah, that would be, it may seem to be paradoxical to some that God is totally sovereign and man is fully responsible. Yeah. And so, that that I suppose you could say seems paradoxical, but we believe there's a resolution to it. Yeah, I I think there's resolution to it. And let me just throw something that R.C. Sproul throws on the fire a little bit. There's seemingly this contradiction or this paradox between God being absolutely sovereign and human beings have free, having free will. Compatibilism, right? We affirm both things. But think about this. Do we as human beings have free will in the same sense that God has free will? So if Eric Dalma decides tomorrow at 9 a.m. to pack it in and destroy the world, am I going to have the, the power to do that? So you see the categories that we're using, there's slight equivocation going on, which we will talk about at some point, because I don't have the same free will in the sense that God has free will. So yes, we affirm both God's sovereignty and human free will, but yet I don't have the same free will that God does. Okay, Our category of free will is different, if that makes sense. Okay, well, here's another thing that we could state about that. Yeah. Because as Christians, we believe that the Bible is inerrant. That's right. Okay? And so doing deduction as Christians, if we read in the Bible that God says that he's sovereign over all things, including all of history, and we read in the Bible that man is responsible for his own moral decisions, then those things are true because the Bible states them, and we have an a priori belief that the Bible doesn't contradict itself. That's right. That's okay? Right. Now, uh, because we're talking about deduction here. Yeah. Induction yeah. would be reading the entire Bible verse by verse by verse by verse, looking for contradictions, and coming to the conclusion that you can find none. Right. And then having done that, then you say, okay, now we know the Bible has no contradictions. But we would say... A contradiction is an absurdity. Right. It's an impossibility. Yeah, it it's meaningless. God inspired the Bible. The Bible's inerrant. Right. God doesn't inspire absurdities and meaninglessness. Right. Okay, yeah, so yeah. if we're just going to go from deduction, we would have to say those two things are true based on the special revelation April. that we have. And if the two things... Now, here's the one that I, I, I exhorted the congregation a while back about this in a sermon. If those things to us do not quite, if they seem in our mind to be contradictory, we have to humble ourselves and say, I must affirm everything God says. It can't be contradictory. It's not a mystery because God has said it. So therefore, it's a paradox in my mind, but it is ultimately a resolvable one. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah, I agree. And I agree. Um, When we come to these things, we know from looking at the scriptures that we never see a contradiction. We come to an idea like compatibilism. What I do is I put it in my mind as either a mystery, either we don't have enough revelation to be able to pull the trigger and resolve it, okay? Or 
it's a paradox, a seeming, seemingly a contradiction, but I'm just not smart enough or able enough to find the data and resolve it. So a mystery, there wouldn't be enough data. Paradox, there would be enough data. I just haven't figured it out yet. That's, that's yeah. very good. Yeah. I, oops. Oops, sorry. I, I took a TULIP class, and they explained the exact same thing. They say God is, or, uh, God is sovereign. We are responsible. Yeah. We see where those lines go into eternity because we, we obviously can't see that far. Yeah. God can see that far. So I guess what I'm trying to say is what he said that he does is he looks and sees those two parallel lines going off into the distance like, like you're looking off into the sunset and seeing like a road. Sure. You can see where it goes, but you can't see where the road, those two, uh, the two lines intersect. Sure. Um, I think that's what he, he said, that that's how we see those two truths going off, you know, going off into the distance. We can see where they go. We understand that we are responsible and God's sovereign. But I guess in Romans, it, it got, Paul had a perfect time to answer that, you know, when he says, you know, these are vessels made for wrath, these are vessels made Romans for righteousness. Nine, yes. And then he, he doesn't say why that, why yeah. that were made. He just says, oh, who are you, who are you old man? Who are you, old man, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't even answer it. Yeah, that's, that's well said, yeah. Yeah, and I th- our last class, last yeah. <laughs> and, and to jump last in on semester. that, that I think would be mystery because, again, the idea of those tracks going outward, they may intersect, but somewhere in heaven, the idea is our revelation is cut. We have what we have in the 66 books of the canon, and we have no more. Again, I, yeah, so that, that would be the idea of the category of mystery then. We don't know how they intersect, but they, yeah. Eric, I was wondering, have you read uh, Jonathan Edwards' The Freedom of the Will? Um, I've read bits and pieces for a class, but I've never read the whole thing. And, have you? Would, <laughs> but, I mean, for what you've read, would you say that he uses the same kind of logic? Yeah, very much book? so. It seems to me he does a lot of these if-then and you know, okay. kind of statements. Yeah, that would be hypothetical syllogisms and stuff. So he's using logic. Right now, you and I, we're in categorical syllogisms. So by night three, we're going to be using the if-then and if and only if, we'll be using biconditional language. So we'll be getting into a lot of the same logic that he's using. Yep. Yeah, and, and I did read all of that and study it carefully. And he talks about nece- what becomes necessary, as you were talking about necessities. Yeah, deduction. Because from deduction, you get necessary conclusions. Edwards is doing that all the time. It's one of his favorite words yeah. is necessary. Yeah. Could you speak maybe a couple minutes more on why this law of non-contradiction is so important because so many people, here's why I think it's so important, they'll start to argue, they'll, they'll acknowledge A. They'll, yeah. they'll say, yes, I believe in A. And then they'll start to argue for part of non-A. Okay, right? sure, yeah. sure. So, Yeah. Yeah, well, the way I would handle that is sometimes you can have, again, two different categories. So you can talk about two different things that are not contradictory, but they are seemingly contradictory. For instance, trying to think of an example off the top of my head, I was going to use the Vikings, but that's kind of a sore spot. (laughs) But let me just say this. You're right. A true contradiction isn't resolvable. So if they try to say, yes, I affirm A, and if it's truly non-A that they're also trying to hold out for, that's irreconcilable. That cannot be. So in other words, let's talk about the resurrection. If the resurrection happened then there is no possibility of non-resurrection. It's, it's in, there's excluded middle there, too. So, yeah, that would be a... The, the reason why I'm just fudging for a, an example is you can sometimes you have, again, like our Matthew 10 example, 
where you have somebody who says, yes, I affirm A, but when you're talking in the discussion, you start to realize that there's actually not A and A, but it's rather A and B. You're talking about two different categories. Do you yeah. see what I'm saying? Yeah, what do you mean by A? And so sometimes we've got to be careful that we're sure that there's only category A being discussed. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Let me make it a little practical. Yeah. Some people may be looking at this stuff and say, well, why would, we don't do this. This isn't the world we live oh, in. Oh, yeah, right. And the fact is, it is absolutely the world you live in, and you use these things every single day, yeah. even if you've never took a logic class in your life. Every time you go into the kitchen, you use non-contradiction. Food is not non-food. <laughs> okay? <laughs> because you, all, you have to determine whether something's edible or not. <laughs> non-food. Right. Okay. Edible and poisonous are contradictory, all right? And, and so when you get into the world of philosophical abstractions, it may seem kind of fuzzy and heady, but it gets down to the nitty-gritty of life. And now when you take this and try to deny it, and you, I have an article on CICministry.org articles, scholarly. Scroll down, there's one where I defend the validity of the law of non-contradiction oh, good, yeah. for, for religious epistemology. Now, in the debate, just, let's just make this practical in the world we live in. Yeah. When I debated Doug Padgett, yeah. in the debate I claimed that the idea, uh, contradictions are meaningless. Oh. They're meaningless. You're actually saying nothing. And I said, you can say square circle, but you have communicated nothing because a square circle cannot exist in the real world. Afterwards, when all these people were milling around, including his members, there were people arguing with me that, well, square circles, how do you know that can't be? <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can have one hand clapping. Well, that's getting weird. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to lay something out that we've all heard yeah. talk about practicality. Yeah. And then you can rip it. All right. <laughs> that's great. You have your truth. Oh. And I have mine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So right there, we're going to be talking about this in apologetics because what we're going to be getting into, did you guys all hear Jeff, what he said? I have my truth and you have yours. Right? And, and the problem with that is the subjectivism, it's, it's, what it is, it's holding to the notion that truth does not have to accord with the facts. Okay. What you and I are living in is an age where truth is no longer defined as a proposition that corresponds to the facts. If I say my Jimmy has six gallons of gas and we go out there and we pump it all out and we measure it and sure enough it has six gallons of gas, that proposition was true. But if it has 30, and that'd be great because then I'd have... (laughs) Um, Anyway, if it had 30, it was a false statement. It didn't correspond to the facts. But see, what's going on in the postmodern world is people are claiming we don't have access to reality, and therefore we can never test to see if it actually accords with the facts. And that's the problem with postmodernism. There's a, there's a, uh, it's called the correspondence theory yeah. of truth. And, and, I, and I dealt with this in the, in, in the book. Yeah, they literally deny the correspondence theory of truth. Yeah. Now, meaning what we would say in traditional logic, in the categories we're talking about here, Jesus Christ, if the statement, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, is true if and only if a person who was Jesus Christ really lived, really died, and really was raised from the dead, 
That's the only way. That's that's a, that's yeah. based on the correspondence theory of truth. That's so right. what they do is they attack that, and then what you have is language and linguistics that aren't attached to the real world that's that right. you and I live in. Yeah. But you know what? You have to throw it up here in the world of philosophy because when those same postmodern relativists yeah. go to the university and study engineering, they use the correspondence theory of truth. Right, right. Well okay. said. Yeah. Okay, so a lot of the postmoderns that I engage with would throw a lot of things into the mystery category. We don't know. We don't know. There's yeah. no way we can know. Yeah. So at what point does life become too mysterious? And uh, how, how do you respond to that? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. I think any time the Bible has clearly, clearly spoken on an issue, it's no longer a mystery, but it's revealed. And just looking at these categories, if the Bible has spoken on it, we know it's not a mystery, and it's also not a contradiction because we know there's no contradictions in the Scriptures. So we can have a paradox, something that's difficult, but it, it's never going to be a mystery if it's revealed. The problem is what's happening now are the postmoderns are latching onto language like mystery. They say mystery all over. And what they'll do is they'll pull a trick. They'll take the term mystery and they'll say, oh, look at how many times mystery is used in the New Testament. Therefore, there's mystery. Therefore, we can't know. Well, wait a minute. When you start looking at the usage of mysterion or mystery in the New Testament, again, 95% of the time, it's talking about something that was formerly concealed but is now revealed. And so really what it is, it's a cop-out. They want to have a mystery because then they're not bound by the revealed word of God. Yeah, so... Yeah. Hey, one other item I wanted to point out is in Bob's debate. Do you guys remember when Bob brought up the law of non-contradiction and you brought up the idea of radio waves? Yeah, yeah, talk about that. <laughs> I, I think that's a great example. That, that one, yeah, that was a, this is a great example yeah. of law of non-contradiction. I was affirming the law of non-contradiction. Doug Paget didn't want to. Right, right. Okay, <laughs> how you don't, but right. he's, he's, I said, uh, a wall is not a door, Yeah. right? And, when and people may say they don't believe in non-contradiction, but they'll go through the door every time and never go through the wall. Right. Then he said, well, radio waves go through the walls. Yeah. And then he went, but then he didn't let me reply. He, you know how he'd, he'd say something and go off at some other thing, go around a circle. Yeah, so I asked, now what's the problem with what he just said? Yeah, what see if, if you can figure out what's wrong with his statement. Yes, different sense, different category. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Actually, the, radio waves do believe, uh, if radio waves didn't follow the law of non-contradiction, you couldn't dial in a station. Exactly. 98.5 is not 92.5 right. at the same time in the same relationship. Right. And both of those go through a wall. Right. When I saw that debate, uh, Bob, I almost stood up and yelled, fallacy! He was pulling his pistol. <laughs> he had the handcuffs out. <laughs> I just wanted to know if you could give some hope to, to some of us that don't think this way. I mean, I know Bob just said we all think logically, yeah. but I'm not used to thinking in these terms. Yeah. And my head hurts right now. <laughs> and, and, and I can't be the only one in here yeah. that this is new to. Yeah. Can you, are we going to really figure this out? I mean, yeah. can you give me some hope that if we just hang in here yeah, you in do. the weeks to come, we, this will make sense. This out? will make sense. And especially when we get into apologetics itself, especially when, like, for instance, we'll talk about the existence of God and we'll be proving the existence of God. 
And you'll actually see some of these principles come out. And it'll start to dawn. Oh, yeah, I understand this. The other thing is you have all the material. Sometimes it doesn't dawn on you maybe till after the class. And just keep using the material, using it with the scriptures, looking for these things, talking examples through to yourself. And all of a sudden you become sharper and sharper with it. And then you can use it, yeah. But don't worry, I think everybody feels that way. Yep. I was going to ask you how uh, something like a non sequitur would fit in. And I think you said blurring of categories would yeah. be one way of doing that. Uh, yeah, and we're starting to get into informal fallacies. But yeah, what, what the problem with what Paget did is he, because he didn't want to go to the logical necessity of Bob's question, he changed categories. Well, all of a sudden, he, and then he doesn't give Bob a chance to respond. So anybody who knows a little bit of logic knows that, well, all Doug did is change categories. But to the untrained, you know, it seems like, boy, that was effective, but it, it really wasn't. So a non sequitur is something that necessarily or doesn't necessarily follow from the premise. Yeah. So, uh, and you see that in arguments a lot where yeah. one side is trying to pin down the other side and the other side keeps jumping from one premise, I guess, to another one, to another one, to another one. Yeah, yep. And you never, you never get a meeting of or a testing of what's being said because we keep changing what's being said. We keep changing yes. that. and that's an informal fallacy, and it's actually called a red herring. So, in other words, in fact, that's what really Doug Paget did. In other words, he can't argue the point, so what he does is he distracts. Just distract and get people's attention off of the... So that's what you do, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that, that, that's a good way to state it. He was yeah. distracting. Yeah, he was. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So and it, it, it was it's been fun to, to since the time talk the stuff over and start analyzing yeah. arguments and this one of the most important things about this class that we're doing is that it's helping us not get sucked into this postmodern yeah. vortex. Amen. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. That's right. I, think we're about, I was oh, going to do that one oh, yeah. scripture. we got like two minutes here. Yep. I, I was studying a scripture this week. I emailed Eric. And I said, hey, here's one where it requires logic to analyze what Paul has to say. This is from Galatians 3. And uh, it says this, Galatians 3.10. For as many as... Yeah, you can maybe put this in your little... Homework. Yeah, you oh, that's it. good. But yeah. for as many as are... Of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now, what is the logical implication then? Why would Paul? Paul is doing some logic himself, but it reveals his premises. He, he believes this to be, well, this is true, this is what Scripture said. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. So every, so that would be... Uh, we'd have, see, that's another thing we have to work on, is taking a complex sentence and identifying the subject, the distribution of the subject, yep. copula, predicate. Right, yeah, in literature. That, right. Yeah, that's, be really that's what we had to do when I took logic at yeah. seminary. Yeah. Because we'll do that. a sentence comes to you a little more complex. Yep. More complex. Well, the point he makes is, let's, let's take the old covenant people. They were all under the law, yep. right? And it said that if you did not abide in all of it, you were cursed. Now, he comes to the conclusion, therefore, they're cursed. Why? 
Nobody followed him. Yeah. So the yeah. so the minor premise that's implied yeah. but not stated is that no one has the ability to follow, it. to follow all the works of the law. That's right. It's the only reason you'd come to the conclusion that they're necessarily cursed. Mm -hmm. Because if some men, if some men were able to perfectly keep the works of the law, then they would not necessarily be cursed. But he said mm -hmm. all are cursed, so it's implied that all have inability to keep the law. All are cursed, universal affirmative. There yeah, you go. There we go. All right. But guys, yeah. I, the reason I wanted to bring that up, and I That's emailed good. Eric and asked if he thought that'd be a good That's idea, good. Yeah. is that when we are reading and interpreting Scripture, we're using these categories yeah. continually, whether we can formally state them or not. So what we're doing in this class is not creating some, you know, uh, differential calculus class. Yeah. That if you were going to be an engineer, you wouldn't have to take. Right. We're, this is the building blocks of how you even understand what the Bible says. Yeah. All we're doing is stating in formal terms what you already have to do anyhow. That's right. Yep. But the Everybody formal terms can help you understand how people fall into fallacies. Uh -huh. and, and that's all this is about. And if you, at the end of the day, if you can't remember all the... Uh, formal terminology, yeah. you can still understand how logic works. That's right. Yep. That's well said. Yeah, and you guys, just take heart too. This is actually the toughest part of logic. When we get into the hypothetical and the disjunctive syllogisms, they're actually a lot easier. These are actually yeah. tougher. So it gets easier from here. I'm throwing the hard stuff at you first. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. Thank you for coming Yeah, you guys, out. have a great night. Eric, thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thanks, you guys. That was fun. <laughs> We'll see if you're still clapping after night four, yeah. <laughs>